1: Your first time to connect with us as a church family, I just want to welcome you this morning. We hope you'll return to uh, our worship, uh, our our, our church family at the building uh, when we are able to gather again. Uh, But right now, we're glad you're connecting. And uh, it was on February 10th that I spent uh, 48 hours at a prayer retreat. I spent some time in silence seeking God and wondering what is it that would need to be shared, a message. Um, And God laid on my heart. Uh, a message series that I wanted to share before all of this kind of blew out with COVID nineteen, this coronavirus, about fear, because there's a lot of issues with fear that are causing trouble in our world right now, and uh, a lot of it has to do with the political landscape. A lot of it has to do with just fear being sold to us on a constant basis, our own internal fears. And I really felt a a need to speak to this. And uh, little did I know, though, what we'd be addressing right now and how real fear is in all of our lives. Many of us struggle with this more than others. And I want to speak to that today and in the coming weeks. Uh, How do we respond in the midst of fearful times, in the midst of anxiety that we may feel all around us? And I had no idea how relevant this would be, but I believe it's relevant regardless of this current crisis. We all feel this from time to time. Some of us are dealing with crippling fear and anxiety because of this virus, the coronavirus. Uh, some of us are feeling it because of a- economic anxiety, wondering uh, if our job will be there to return to. Uh, we're wondering if there will be enough food and paper goods, toilet paper around. We're worried about uh, those that we love that are loved ones that may be more vulnerable to this. We're worried about ourselves, our children. We're wondering what the world's going to look like as a result of this. And if you're feeling right, that right now, that's natural. We want you to know you're welcome here with all your fears. Uh, and we're praying for you in this season, and I want to give you some help about that. You know, one of the greatest uh, weapons in the evil one's arsony is fear. And over the next uh, few weeks, I want to help us move through the fears and anxiety that we're dealing with, and I want to help us move toward a faithful response based on uh, what the Bible has to teach us about this and what God has spoken through the generations. Uh, we believe that Jesus came to offer an abundant life, even in these circumstances. And I want to speak to that in just a moment. Let's pray, though, as we open our time in God's Word together. Father, right now, I want to speak uh, just a word right now, uh, a request to you right now on behalf of all who are within uh, earshot of my words, that in every home and in every place of worship right now in our church family and in our community, that there would be an overwhelming sense of supernatural peace in the midst of the anxiety and the fear that's all around and I pray that in the midst of this time where we're uncertain of so many things that your spirit would guide us and lead us in faithful response and loving our neighbor in the best ways possible and helping us to love you also with our questions. So God, we know that you hear our prayers and we know that if we put our trust in you, you'll direct our paths. And so God, this morning is, uh, as we're reminded of a faith-filled response and a fear-filled time that you would help us take the steps forward and that you would meet us as we pray to you, as we sit in silence before you, and as we sit in the midst of our fears and anxiety. I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people spread out uh, said, Amen. Well, before we get to the negative and debilitating uh, parts of what fear do to us, I want to talk about the positive aspects of fear. Fear is a natural response that God has given to us and to our bodies for the threat of anything that may come against our survival. We long to be people who obviously survive and live long lives. And so fear is an instinct that's been given to us to help that be possible. When we discover a threat around us, uh, for generations humans have responded with one of two ways, fight or flight. If you've ever encountered a coyote while on a, on a run or a rattlesnake while on a hike, you know what I'm talking about, a desire to either run away or to do something to protect ourselves. And in those moments, our bodies automatically respond to the fear impulses God has given to us. There's actual physical responses that happen immediately in those circumstances, The fear response starts in a region of our brain known as the amygdala, and the amygdala sends out responses to other parts of our body. The brain becomes hyper-alert, our pupils dilate, our breathing accelerates, our heart rate and blood pressure increase, and blood actually flows to places in our body that are going to let us be able to flee faster. Our skeletal muscles increase in that moment. All of that is normal, and all of that is wonderful if we're actually facing something that should cause us to fight or flee. The problem comes when this fear response is struck by everyday things that really are not uh, threats to our survival. And increasingly, many of us are living in a state of constant reaction to fear and anxiety, and it will wear you out. Many of you are experiencing that right now, a fatigue, because you've been living in the midst of fear and anxiety over these days. And there are many companies, politicians, even church leaders That will use fear on a regular basis on top of all the fears we normally experience. Companies sell us things in order to take care of our fears. That's part of how they uh, market their products is to make us aware of fears we weren't aware of. The evening news does this, right? Uh, They tell you about something to be fearful about and they say, check us out at 10 o'clock. We'll let you know more. Politicians do the same thing. They strike our fears and let us know that they're the one who can help answer those fears and get votes that way. Nothing unites a group of people more than a common fear or a common enemy that unites them. And I got to be honest, in my line of work, there are a lot of preachers that have done the same thing, trying to fill their pews and and also fill their budgets by creating fear about what God would do. And there's nothing greater than putting divine sanction behind fear in order to strike that into people. Fear is a natural response though. It's a God-given gift. But any good gift that we use in excess is actually, can become an idol, can take control of our lives. But at its core, fear is meant to protect us from our greatest enemy, which is death. From the beginning, death has been the great enemy of humans. Do you remember that conversation between Adam and, uh, or actually it's Eve and the serpent in the garden? This is Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning several places or you can check in on the U Version app for those slides and, and scriptures. I hope you'll be uh, doing this at home. But in Genesis chapter 2, there's actually a story uh, about this before we get to that conversation in chapter 3 I want to get to. So this is the original conversation between God and Adam about his instructions for the days ahead. This is Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You thought your parents were harsh for the punishments they brought your way, right? Death is the result of making a mistake here, of transgressing the lines that God had given them. Eat from any tree in the garden except for this one or you will certainly die. Well, as the story goes on, a serpent enters into the story and and Eve's there with Adam and Eve has this interaction with the serpent. Listen to this interaction that the evil one has with Eve through this uh, figure, of the serpent. This is Genesis 3 verse 1 and following. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent challenges God's words to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. The serpent says, you will certainly not die. Which, But in the end, they eat the fruit, and it turns out that God was right. Death enters into the world in this moment. It's what we fear most. And if we're dealing with a lot of our fears right now and anxieties, at a root level, a lot of it goes back underneath the presenting fears to a fear of death, a fear of our mortality, a fear of what the future may hold. I'm going to deal with that several times over the next few weeks. In fact, next week we're going to talk about um, the art of dying well. Again, these are sermons I prepped ahead of time, not knowing what we were going to be facing, but these are the fears we face. And as Christians, we ought to be people who know how to enter into death fearlessly, if that's what's called for us. But this brings me all back to John 10, verse 10, which is a passage that I read several times in our vision series. It's a very clear word that Jesus gives about why he came and what the evil one's up to. Again, John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, in Genesis 3, Jesus' words are true at the very beginning of time. The serpent, or the thief, comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, to introduce death into the world. And he's quite successful at it, isn't he? But Jesus came to offer something else, to offer an abundant, full life. Now, if I were to ask you the question this morning, why did Jesus come to earth? What would your answer be to that? Most of us have been taught that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And that would be a great answer. It's actually one correct answer that's important for us to understand. But I want to suggest today that Jesus came even for more than that. Jesus came, uh, as John 10.10 says, to offer us a life, uh, a full and abundant life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came. And one of the first things he says in the Gospel of Mark is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. So Jesus came to announce and welcome the kingdom of God. Jesus came to do a bunch of things. And today I want to share with you one more reason that Jesus came to earth, and it has a lot to do with the series we're in and a lot of what we're facing today. If you're experiencing fear, I hope what I'm going to share with you now will give you comfort. This comes from the book of Hebrews, which is going to be a theme verse for us in this series. Uh, The the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus came to do. It says there, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What does the writer of Hebrews say that Jesus' death accomplished? Jesus came to defeat the power of the evil one, the devil. And what power does the devil hold according to verse 14? Well, power is the power of death. But Jesus' death and resurrection have broken that power. Part of the reason that Jesus came to earth was to defeat the power of death, that great enemy from the beginning. But what he says in verse 15 is what relates so well to our discussion today. It says there that Jesus came to free us from being held in slavery by our fear of death. Now, this is a key takeaway I want you to take away from today's sermon. It's possible for us to be bound and enslaved by fear. If you're living in fear, if anxiety has taken a hold in your life, it can feel like you're in chains, can't it? Some of you have been in that place. And if you're in chains to fear, what that means is the master that we're taking command from is the devil. Because the devil is the one who holds the power of fear in our lives. But here's the good news. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says that power is not available to the devil anymore. Jesus came to free us from the slavery to the fear of death. And that means that the devil has no authority or power to lead you around by fear in those chains. Christ has freed you. Now does this mean that anxiety and fear are never going to be around us? No. No. There are all kinds of situations that our impulses and natural realities lead us to fear. Fear can be a gift, as we talked about earlier. But it does let us know that we're not enslaved by fear. And that we have one who is more powerful than the power of death, the power of fear, the slavery that the evil one can hold in our lives. Remember, fear is a gift. Fear can protect us from dangers to our survival. Yet Hebrews 2 does let us know that Jesus has the power over fear. So I guess there's the question, that's great to have in our minds, but how does that actually get played out in our lives? How do we put into action the promise of Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15? How do you live a life with less paralyzing fear? I've been dwelling a lot on that question over the past few months, actually, since February. Trying to bring a message of hope, not realizing how relevant that would be right now. And over the past 10 days, I've been dwelling on that question a lot as we've been uh, experiencing social distancing and quarantine and trying to keep our way away from each other. And here's what I've discovered. We have great intentions when it comes to helping people who are experiencing fear and anxiety. But much of the advice we give is unhelpful. Here's what I mean. When someone expresses their fear, often what I want to do is I want to help them realize that they don't need to fear about that. And the way I often do that when I'm not thinking and giving my best pastoral advice is to try to diminish or act like the fear isn't a real fear. But The reality is, whether that fear that they're experiencing is rational or irrational, many of us try to bring comfort to fearful people by trying to downplay their fears. It's all going to turn out all right. You've got nothing to worry about. I'm sure it's nothing. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. And while those statements may be true in some circumstances, they don't really help people who are experiencing fear. Perhaps you've heard Christians say before that the most common command found in Scripture is do not fear. Some have said there's about 365 times it shows up. I couldn't find that when I looked uh, this week. But there's well over 100. Do not fear. Do not fear. And it's true, this command is found all over Scripture. But the beauty in these verses are not found in God's command to just say, it's no big deal, just don't fear, there's no real fear around. It doesn't help anyone to say, just don't worry about it. It's no big deal. What's helpful is what follows those commands throughout Scripture. In fact, right now I want to read from five different parts of Scripture. And I want you to pay close attention, not just to the command, do not fear, but I want you to pay close attention to a theme that emerges after that command over and over again. The first of these shows up in Genesis chapter 15. Again, there are many more that I'm going to read this morning, but I want to read these five. And I want you to pick up on this theme. This is Genesis 15 verse 1. This is God speaking to Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Second of these verses, I want to point to is in the book of Joshua. This is one that is a great one to memorize. It's one I remember memorizing growing up and has been helpful to me as I'm washing my hands the last few days. It's a reminder you might want to give to yourself in this season. Joshua 1, verse 9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The next comes from a more, I don't remember this one. Let's just put it that way until I was looking up this week. This is in the book of 1 Chronicles, a little bit later in the Old Testament. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. David also said to Solomon his son, be strong and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. And as we read on that story, that's a true statement. Turn over to the next book, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then finally, the book of Isaiah. Again, there are many more than these. These are just five different sections I wanted to point out to you with a similar theme. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then drop down a few verses to verse 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. There are plenty more. In fact, I encourage you to just look up in a biblical concordance. Go on BibleGateway.com, type in uh, that phrase, do not fear, and you'll find so many more that are there. But what is the common thread when you look through those verses that I just read a moment ago? Did you notice what it was? Why are we not to be afraid? The promise is because God is going to be with us. We are not alone. And if you're in a season of fear and there are Christians who are trying to act like you have nothing to fear because it will all work out, don't listen to them, okay? (laughs) That's not the reason we're not to fear. There are reasons to be afraid. In a moment like this, it, it really sounds naive to say your anxiety is really about nothing. The outcomes are not certain. God doesn't promise us it will all work out the way we'd hope. In the Bible, God doesn't try to tell us that our fear is a bunch of illusion. He doesn't diminish what we're up against. So why does God tell us not to fear? Because God promises to be with us through it all. God's presence is the reason we can let go of fear like that moment growing up where you might have had an authority figure in your life that was your protector, a father or a mother that may have been there, someone in your life that you knew everything was going to be all right because they were there. That's the same way with God. We're his children. We're his beloved. I cannot emphasize the importance of this this point enough as you're trying to minister to others in the midst of this season. It's often easy for us to deal with our own anxiety and with others' anxiety by trying to say, look, it's no big deal, trying to diminish the fears that they have. And I'm telling you, if you've been through fear, you know that doesn't work. Don't try to convince people it's not a big deal or it'll all work out. You cannot guarantee those things. But there is something you can guarantee anyone who is afraid. You can guarantee them that God will be at work and will be walking beside them and it's His battle along with you you're never alone. And not only that, can you say that God's with them, you can assure them that you're with them as well. And that you see them and you're willing to walk with them in creative ways in this time as we're not able to be close together. So in the midst of whatever you're walking through, there are two things I want to uh, settle in this first message and I'll have more to share in the weeks to come. First is you are not alone. And that's a really hard thing to say because a lot of us feel that way. Some of us right now are actually alone in our rooms watching this service, watching this message, listening to this message in some way. But I want to assure you that the God who has created the world, who designed you in your mother's womb, who knows the number of hairs on your head has not left you alone. He's with you every step of the way. And number two, Jesus came to free you from your slavery to the fear of death. So if you're in chains right now, you're letting a master uh, drag you around who has no power to do that in your life. Jesus has actually freed us from the power the enemy has in our lives. who wants to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus came to free us from that and to let us live an abundant and full life.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.